This week, why don't I eat animals? And later, the news. Carbon capture is still mostly BS. Narcan vending machines save lives. The vertical farming boom uh, doesn't quite have enough power. Uh, hacking EV charging stations and more. But first, I'm Quinn Emmett, and this is important, not important, science for people who give a shit. The newsletter features the most important science news, how to think about it, and what the hell you can do about it, or what we can do about it. You can hit subscribe right now to get this newsletter and my conversations with the world's smartest people, that is, other people, not me, being talked to by me, every single week. You can find the email version and links to everything at importantnotimportant.com or in your show notes. It's July 7th, 2023. Here's your weekly action steps. Number one, donate to the Food Animals Concerns Trust to advocate for raising food-producing animals in a healthy, humane manner, which is not really the way we currently do it. Number two, volunteer with our friends at the Environmental Voter Project to turn out more environmental voters for elections at every level. Number three, get educated about climate-friendly food with this municipal guide from the Friends of the Earth, a blueprint for your town to reduce meat consumption, costs, and associated pollution deaths. And number three or four, whatever it is, be heard about reproductive freedom and urge Congress to protect abortion access on a federal level with the link in the show notes. And now for today's big question. Why don't I eat animals? And when did it start? It's kind of hard to believe I mostly stopped eating animals and consuming most dairy 12 entire years ago. It's also hard to believe I'm going to be 41 this year, and then 82 or something every year after that. Look, if you're a longtime reader or listener, you'd be forgiven for thinking that I began my meatless journey for all the noble reasons I write about and talk about here every single week. But you'd actually be wrong. It's not for those reasons. Or it wasn't. But a lot has changed in these 12 years. For example, my Achilles hurt when I woke up this morning. But it didn't hurt last night, and I don't understand why. Anyways, the meatless, or plant-based, decision, and the landscape surrounding it, often literally, is one I get asked about most about and I think about a lot. So it seems prudent to finally share why I did it, why I stuck with it, even against my own purposes, and of the benefits and obstacles along the way. So last thing before we get going, though, a heads up, there's a lot of ableist bullshit in here from me because that's just part of the story. So stick with it. In the beginning, my family exercises so we can eat. Full stop, basically. We love to cook, we love to sweat, we love to eat, and for a very long time, there was very little discrimination as to what was on the table. So, again, history of me, 18 years of that, and then college, where I was reluctantly, but eventually joyfully, a sprinter on the swim team and an outfielder in club college baseball. But later, I also added 15 pounds of muscle to play a fast flanker in rugby uh, in college and, and briefly after traveling internationally. So four years after I barely graduated college, I was still armed, if you would, with a body that could perform, that was pretty adaptable to whatever I wanted to do with it, frankly, and which required, I don't know, four or 5,000 calories a day. I was very, very, very lucky. Again, a lot of ableist bullshit here. You know, Captain America quote, insert here, I can do this all day, I thought, foolishly, not knowing how fast it goes away. 
All that muscle uh, did go away and my fitness went away, but the number on the scale didn't change as I started to work my first real jobs in London and then 2006 New York, just inhaling bagels, uh, chicken parms at 11 o'clock at night, frappuccinos all day when Starbucks was new, or at least new to most of us. I was clocking 12 plus hours just sitting at my desk in my cubicle, drinking, going out with my coworkers, not really sleeping most nights because YOLO, you get the idea. I was young, it was great, but I was increasingly in uncharted territory fitness-wise. I actually felt terrible as much as I was having a great time. In 2008, a close cousin was diagnosed with leukemia, and I was jolted out of my debauchery, desperate to do something. Well, it turns out I was a religious studies major. There's not a lot I could do. What could I do? I don't know. I mean, as, as I make clear all the time here, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, nor was I one then. But over and over, I ask the question you all ask me all the time. What can I do? Or what can I do? The answer in that case is I could sweat. And this was a good lesson for me, and it led to all of this. I signed up to train and fundraise with a group called Team in Training, which is part of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, where I met, oh my god, incredible humans, doctors, researchers, family members, survivors, patients. I raised about $60,000 for research. I competed in the New York City Triathlon. My friends all came to watch. They made signs. It was an incredible experience. I was back. Two months later, riding high, I met my future wife at a Caribbean wedding. I was in great shape. I tried to impress her by racing and beating a very slow boat. She did not care, which is the first of many examples. I continued to ride high. When the wedding was over, I flew away on a seaplane as she watched from the dock. It was romantic. I was killing it again. But two months after that, uh, one of my best friends was diagnosed with cancer. A few months later, now early 2009, uh, he died from that cancer. Truly, fuck cancer. Shouldn't surprise you, instantly the drinking and eating uh, was back in full effect. In response to my friend's death, his name was Andy. In fact, uh, it is just about the his birthday. Uh, it's been, God, 12 years, 13 years, 14 years, a long time. In response to his death in 2009, I pulled a, an office space, as I described to people. I returned from his celebration of life. I sat down in my cubicle at ESPN, which I loved, looked at a spreadsheet and was like, I don't want to do, do this anymore. And that lovely young woman who I met at the wedding, who was wildly supportive through some serious dark times, uh, cautiously invited me out to Los Angeles where she lived, which was one of her first of many <laughs> mistakes. It was a big leap, but what else did I have going on? Fuck it. So I took down another Subway meatball sandwich, or seven of them. I left my awesome job and awesome coworkers in New York. I left behind my family and all my East Coast friends on basically zero notice. And I moved to Los Angeles, where I'd never visited, except for once for her birthday, to be with her and to nurse my wounds with bourbon. A couple weeks later, the economy crashed. Again, 2009, there were zero jobs to be had, and I promise this is all going towards why I don't eat animals. I was depressed. I was unemployed. Uh, I kept up my drinking and my sloth in my new home in hard scrabble, Hollywood Hills. But thankfully, uh, there were some vital interventions along the way that finally pulled me out of my funk. The first was reading a book called The China Study. Uh, you may have heard of it. 
and say what you will about that whole thing, but when your good friend has just died of cancer, and you are angry and also terrified of getting cancer yourself, and a book like The China Study comes out, uh, and it talks about, here, don't eat animals or you'll get cancer, well, it's very easy to read something like that uh, that's as persuasive as that and go, well, shit. Okay. Simultaneously, uh, a new friend got me running again. Thanks, Jason. Another new friend, uh, Rawson, got me into adult softball, which, and this will surprise you, uh, I took far too seriously. Um, my now wife and I got engaged, and then we got married. Because of all those things, I, I started to get back into reasonable shape, which, looking back now at 40 and considering the self-inflicted damage, uh, that was hilariously easy, truly. Um, so I was dabbling in plants, but still mostly ate whatever I wanted. The China study lurked on my bookshelf and in my subconscious, but animals were still delicious and really mostly what was accessible. Skip to 2011. I'd been married for a year. I just convinced 10 plus friends to run That Falls New York Marathon with me. Um, we'd also agreed to collectively raise a shitload of money for cancer research through the Livestrong Foundation, which I know, complicated, but again, fuck cancer, it was 2011. And frankly, after working with team and training a few years before, uh, I knew what to do. I could sweat. I could raise money. So the thing is, of all my different athletic activities through my life, I'd never run a marathon before, much less train for one. So I spent a lot of time building training plans and trying to understand how do I do this right from every perspective. Also, we were married and without kids, um, so... <laughs> What else was I going to do with my free time? What did I do with my free time then? Oh, my God. So, anyways, my dad ran a shitload of marathons when I was growing up. So I had a general idea of the training required. I'd never done it, though. So when I really looked at the training plan, I was pretty aghast at what lay before me. I was going to have to retrofit my body into something very different than it had ever been before. At this point, Six months out from race day, um, I thought it might be prudent, per the China study and a bunch of other stuff, to drop meat and dairy to not only not get cancer, but also maybe lose a few excess pounds and be lighter on my feet. Take it easy on the old joints as I do 17, 18 milers on the weekend. So enter vegetables. Meat was out. Not just red meat, all meat. And so was dairy. And two things immediately happened. I felt great. Light on my feet, more energy, better sleep, better training. And number two, I planned my new plant-based meals very poorly. So more than once, my wife came home to me just going to town on a rodisserie chicken with my bare hands. Why? Well, one, as you may have noticed above, everything came very easily to me for a long time with my body. Over the years, I changed everything about my body, except my diet. Changed them all with relative ease and with a lot of success. It was great. I'd never really thought through and put into practice any sort of nutrition stuff, even in college. And two, that's a problem because when you're training for a marathon, much less your first one, the calorie deficits add up real fast. So keep in mind, 2011. Yeah, I could cook and I was living in hippie LA, but despite those two obvious cheat codes for eating plant-based, there weren't, compared to today, a lot of takeout or delivery options that were plant-based, nor much besides shitty almond milk in the grocery stores 
at least I knew about. Um, I didn't have any plant-based cookbooks. I didn't really know where or how to plan out or how to cook or prepare or buy for my protein. And yeah, of course, there were options and plenty of information. People have been eating, of all cultures, have been eating plant-based forever. But again, you can rewind to listen about how I am a moron and did a poor job planning those. This is all my fault. Anyways, another interesting part, relevant today too, is that while my wife was, and inexplicably continues to be, very supportive of all my dumb shit, she certainly was under no obligation to take part in this thing that's pretty core to us, how we eat, herself. And if you've ever tried to change your diet in a house you share with even one person, or someone you go on dates with, or your parents of, uh, it's kind of complicated. That's to come. So, you know, you then you got two kinds of milk in the fridge. You got fewer shared entrees. It's annoying, and as usual, uh, was my fault. So, while my wife eventually and gradually became more plant-based herself for her own reasons, there were obvious obstacles to convincing her us being on the same path. She wasn't terrified of getting cancer. She had fewer issues eating animals at that time. And not many other people around us were plant-based yet. It was just me being annoying. However, I can't stress enough, almond milk really sucks for a thousand reasons, but especially in coffee. And two, bacon remains fucking delicious. I haven't eaten it in 10 plus years, but it's, it's hard to let go of those things. All right, back to my journey here. Good news. Marathon went mostly great. Afterwards, a good friend, Adam, told me, hey, uh, maybe don't torture yourself. And another take on life is short is eat whatever you want because shit's going to happen anyways, which is fair. So I actually tried to go back to meat and dairy. And my body, so reliably adaptable, was like, absolutely fucking not. So cheese, meat, uh, these things did not go over or, or through me very well. So suddenly this huge change was no longer a choice. And while the broader plant-based landscape was beginning to evolve and proliferate, it was actually only getting more complicated at home because kids. So while making our children was incredibly difficult and expensive, which is a different story, feeding them was relatively easier. And again, this is very easy for me to say as the dipshit new hetero father who mostly just washed bottles and pumping gear and, and made schedules, right? Easiest job anyone has ever had in the world. We were very, very lucky. Our babies eventually breastfed pretty well. We were lucky to have help. We could afford formula when we needed it or when they were gassy. My wife is fucking incredible on all fronts of being a partner and a mom, all these things. So when it came time for solid food, we did the usual. Hummus, avocado, sweet potato, pureed lentil soup, mostly plant-based, super delicious, nutrient-dense. Sometimes we bought the stuff in glass jars, uh, hopefully organic, but mostly I just blended the shit out of the good stuff that I found at the farmer's market or Whole Foods or whatever. But sticking point here, we went from... <laughs> Doctor saying, you can't make a baby to three kids under three pretty quick. So I have necessarily blacked out many of the details. But from what I do remember, we didn't talk too much about the kids' early food plans. I'm talking really early. And of course, we aren't monsters. Chicken nuggets and mac and cheese 
entered the picture, but we definitely emphasized fruits and veggies. But as the children grew, we gave them real milk uh, occasionally, and real cheese, and real yogurt most of the time, right? But more and more often the plant-based versions. We even invested in a milk made out of peas, Ripple, and through a VC firm, a variety of other plant-based foods. But as lucky as we are to have healthy kids, and as much as I believe their majority plant-based diets support their overall health, um, other parents, including grandparents, are gonna have opinions, man. And when you're exhausted and toddlers start rejecting foods, or they're behind on growth and weight charts or whatever, or ahead of them, to each their own, it's easy to question whatever policies you've enacted at home. Because truthfully, it doesn't matter how many books and shit you've read, you've been a parent for about six seconds, right? What the hell do you know? Here's other things that still don't help, but were even less clear then. Nutritional tips and guidelines and science usually provided in a vacuum, from industry-funded studies, or based on long outdated or poorly organized research. Even the China study, right, was an enormous observational study. One week CNN says, blueberries will kill you, and the next, they prevent Alzheimer's. All great. Navigating all of this as other parents at preschool judge your kids' lunches, and your own kids start rejecting your delicious, healthy meals, which still happens to us, super fun. The good news is, if you mostly feed your kids plants, or at least processed food made from plants, which is a whole nother thing, their entire lives, that's kind of all they know. And if you start to gently help them understand all the other reasons outside of dietary health, why not eating animals might not be a nice thing to do, it can grease the wheels even further. And yet, we struggled because kids are picky and they're a pain in the ass and I'm a pain in the ass. So enter the share plate. As new parents, you will be exhausted and overwhelmed, even if you have a ton of help and family like we do and did. And while you might try to do the right thing, you may each have different ideas about what those things are. And you may argue over them because again, at the time you are husks of human beings who are raised in different ways and read different things and talk to different people. You can and will argue about uh, what your kids should eat, when they should eat, how often they should eat, how much they should be served or served at all, how much they should be expected to eat, when they're full, when they're done, what dessert means. We have argued about all of it. We've both been right, both been wrong. It's usually my fault. It's so fun. But people do have to eat, so the only way out is through. And one day I used my early important, not important, powers to connect with and try to triangulate advice from the most rational, scientifically-minded childhood nutritionist I could find. And a few key shared lessons came to light. Number one, most kids are picky. It's not usually just your asshole kids. Number two, sugar is a nightmare. Um, but don't deprive them of it entirely because depriving kids of stuff is usually a bad idea in the long run. Number three, build a predictable schedule for food and sleep, which go together. And like adults, your children will be significantly less asshole-ish. Four, share plate is your friend. And the share plate changed our lives. The idea is simple. Give each child a small, empty, shatterproof plate. 
Uh, number two, prepare a larger share plate with two or three healthy, delicious foods they know and love and two or three new options. Three, set it down on the table. Four, tell them they can eat as much of whatever's on the plate as they would like. Here's what you're doing. You're giving them real choices over what and how much they eat. Hey everyone, it's Quinn, your host and the founder of Important Not Important. I'd like to take a quick minute to tell you about the INI or any, whatever we're calling it these days, membership and community. It's a gathering place really for our most dedicated shit givers, a place to connect and learn from one another and to have access to me outside of the newsletter and this podcast. We started it last year and it's grown to hundreds of shit givers from all kinds from around the globe. I'm talking about teachers and investors, students, electricians, journalists, artists, scientists, and policymakers, and, and more. Members get exclusive access to our daily news homepage, which is very cool, and to much more top-of-mind weekly articles, research, and tools that you can use and to stay ahead of the game, member-sourced action steps, twice-monthly book and culture recommendations that have nothing to do with the end of the world, virtual events, and of course, the membership Slack channel. Look, so many people come to us asking, what can I do? And we think we do a pretty good job of answering that question and providing context for the answer. But the best answers and the best perspective really come from the community, a wide-ranging community, and we would love for you to be a part of it, to feel supported yourself, and to contribute to discussions and actions alike. And of course, by becoming a member, you're directly supporting our work here and ensuring that we get to keep doing it. So if you'd like to learn more, head to importantnotimportant.com. And if you're already a reader, you can just hit the upgrade button at the top. If you're not, Go ahead and subscribe for free, and you'll see the option to become a member at whatever level works best for you. And as always, you can always find the link to become a member right in your show notes. So thanks for listening, and as always, thanks for giving a shit. Back to the show. But in the broader context and reality, it's a bit of an illusion, Michael, because you're the one who bought the groceries. You made the food. You decided what goes on the share plate, so what they get to choose from. So everybody wins here. For a while. Enter adolescence. By the time my kids got old enough to ask real questions about what was on their plate in the world around them, I was knee-deep in uh, all this work and increasingly aware of the vast systemic issues connected to industrial agriculture, um, from antibiotics to deforestation to cancer and monocrops and water use, all that shit. Along the way, more mainstream plant-based options have exploded into the marketplace and public consciousness, from fine dining to cookbooks to milks, yogurts, burgers, all that stuff. I have embraced these products wherever they made sense for our family, when they weren't just all out rejected. Um, and I try to use some combination of convenience plus taste plus health plus not making the planet worse as my calculus for what to bring home. Again, I'm often wrong about most things. The plant-based revolution, paired with glaring headlines about the Colorado River's alfalfa problem and the Amazon rainforest's increasing lack of actual rainforest, 
has made it much easier for adult people to understand why and how to gradually transition away from meat or to take the big leap, whatever works for you. But it's also inevitably exposed just how much meat and to a lesser extent dairy are part of people's lives. So for every one of my friends who are super cool about my meatless Sunday dinners, there are millions more folks for whom steak and burgers and bacon are inseparable from who they are. Who subscribed to ButcherBox or uh, keto diets, who actually thought paleo was a reputable idea. Like everything else in our society right now, these people are online and unduly influenced by lobbyists, industry-funded research, and scientists who are deep in the pocket of big meat, um, by influencers and friends and family online and in person who have either, one, simply not encountered the enormous evidence that our meat addiction is fueling an enormous share of the climate crisis, two, they've been lied to about it, or three, they simply don't give a shit because, again, meat and dairy are part of their lives and their culture and come get their meat over their cold, dead meatbag bodies. But here's the thing. There's no need to be so angry. Joe Biden is not coming for your burger. On the other hand, I am coming for your burger, and your gas stove for that matter, but you signed up. You chose to listen to this. But coming back to kids, how the hell do we explain all that stuff I just talked about to a seven-year-old? The reality is, today at camp, my kids 100% ate some sort of breaded Tyson chicken fingers at their camp. And that's fine, because 90% of the time we serve them plants or fruits or food made from those. So making their social lives hell and making it hell for underfunded summer camps is not my playbook, now at least. I mean, I feel like I try to learn a little bit every day as I fuck it up. It's also not how I get them to become effective little shit givers. They already find me incredibly annoying. Again, my parenting is uh, not perfect by any stretch, but you have to pick your battles. But I will say, for the first time, when my kids connected the chicken on their plate with chickens they saw clucking around the farms near us, I also didn't shy away from telling them those are the exact same thing. They were a little bit aghast. And like other atrocities, I have gradually revealed to them that most meat and fish are not harvested in a way that is super great. To be clear, these animals are conceived, drugged, overgrown, watered in horrendous conditions explicitly to be slaughtered and eaten. Now, I didn't used to know or give a shit about any of that stuff, and it's not why I got into this lifestyle or business. I believe in the mission fully on now. A very long time ago, I was a religious studies major but only to better understand why people do what they do and how we got here. I'm an atheist monster. Food is a huge part of why people do what they do and how they live their lives and the traditions they pack down. But I do not believe in any capacity that we were or deserve dominion over anything on this planet or any other, despite our recent evolutionary and technological advantages and my history of sci-fi games, which often include taking over planets. So... I think it's aware that any dominion we have assumed has very quickly and thoroughly destroyed whatever relationships indigenous people shared with the nature around us for tens of thousands of years. Absolutely cooked our landscapes and oceans and ecosystems, poisoned our air and water. It's not a coincidence that the Catholic Church and McDonald's own more real estate than almost any other organization or person. Now, cut to 2023. 
my body is nowhere near as adaptable as it was because of time and because I pushed it on so many levels, healthy and not so much. Kids in life and work and parenting and relationships are stressful and exhausting. We all try to do our best. I certainly do. I do not exceed at it nearly all the time. But my diet matters more than ever. So I mostly eat plants and food made out of plants. Sometimes it's more processed than I'd like, but I try to avoid the clearly bad shit for me and the planet. I dabble in sustainably harvested fish, like from Patagonia Provisions. Um, I love Kerrygold Irish butter and would kill a man over it. Um, but 12 years is a long time to mostly go without eating animals or dairy. Over time, your body changes. Your desires change. Your taste buds change. Your grocery shopping changes. And thankfully, the world has changed around me and us. And my kids' diets matter more than ever, too. Their brains are on fire every day. I mean, they ask so many questions. And they run around all day. They burn like 100,000 calories a day or whatever. It's insane. We eat plant-based Mexican food, Mediterranean food, Indian and Asian foods, a lot of Blue Zones-inspired stuff. Um, and sometimes some of that stuff is, is fried, fried vegetables. And I can be an asshole about it, even though I try not to be. We're all doing our best. They mostly eat what we eat more often now, which is a, listical, a logistical improvement uh, for sure. But again, our family, like your family and every family, is wildly imperfect about it all. And again, that usually starts with me. But don't lose the plot. We can always do better for our bodies and our minds and society. Share plates are great for adults, too. And I mean, obviously, plain pasta isn't like a rare delicacy in our house, right? Again, you got to pick your fights. But here's an easy cheat, an 80-20 decision. Stock the fridge in the pantry. Try to aim more for the fridge than the pantry with plants and plant-based options. It means it makes preparing and serving meals and late-night snacks that much easier, because that's what's available instead of the ultra-processed food and stuff that's making us sick. So now I try to help my privileged, picky little eaters uh, that I'm a hard-ass about, which is unfortunate, um, understand the bigger picture. That there are costs to all the choices we make. And that their parents, grandparents, and ancestors before them simply didn't pay those costs if they're aware of them. But we can each make better choices starting now. The incredible once in a solar system, ecosystems around us, and of which we are inseparable and are very clearly not inexhaustible, um, and in many cases not something we can even replenish, not even in my children's lifetimes. But I try to teach my kids that they can sure as hell try to fix those and learn from people who've been tending and living amongst those ecosystems for so very long to build something gentler and kinder and more sustainable and inwardly healthier for all of us. I ask them questions now, I mean, mostly, including whether they think animals have a right to live just to live, and to have room to live and breathe and fornicate and make friends on land or in the water or in the air. I ask them how the animals themselves might feel about all that. I help them understand that we know how smart pigs and octopuses are now. We know how many animals feel pain, and how much we can learn from plants just as they are and that we should never pick or make lumber or toilet paper out of the first plant of its kind or the last. I try to help my kids understand that millions of children in America and billions around the world couldn't imagine being able to eat organic plant-based foods off a share plate every day and night. 
that we have to stop wasting what we do have and make it so all of those children have access to the same foods they do. We are the sum of the choices we make. And what we put into our bodies, the air, the water, and the food we take in, has a massive influence not only on our energy and our sleep and our ability to grow and learn, but on the world around us. Every child should have access to clean, healthy, plant-based foods. I never expected to ditch meat and dairy, much less for life. Kind of how I never expected, as one college friend put it recently, uh, to build a business where I write a term paper every week for the rest of my life. But here we are. I hope uh, sharing my journey is helpful to you and to know I'm still living it and being an imperfect, annoying, but well-intentioned dad and husband and lunchbox maker every single day. I would love to hear about your story, what you're struggling with, where your successes have been, how it's going in your family. You can send those to us uh, via text or, or voicemail, whatever, at questions at importantnotimportant.com. Here's the news. In climate change news, farmers are especially vulnerable to extreme heat. There's a low-tech solution in the show notes that could save lives. Two, we are obsessed with Peak Action's new YouTube series, Unfucking the Planet. Uh, you can watch their latest video on why carbon capture is still mostly bullshit right now, but necessary. And number three, some good news. U.S. truck makers are phasing out diesel trucks in California. In food and water news, the vertical farming boom is facing some growing pains. You're welcome. Two, plant-based is the new vegan, especially in marketing. And you'll notice I didn't use the V word once in that manifesto above. In health and bio news, dementia villages, which sound terrifying, could be the future of home care and not so terrifying. Uh, number two, Narcan vending machines are saving lives in the opioid epidemic. Number three, the risk of dying from breast cancer has dropped dramatically since the 90s, which is awesome. Meanwhile, maternal mortality rates have more than doubled in some states, which is decidedly not great or, unsurprisingly, equitable. And number four, uh, Big Pharma is suing the federal government over Medicare provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act because of profits. And in computer news, a lack of standards in EV charging stations poses a hacking risk that could impact drivers and the power grid. Number two, Congress failed to regulate big tech. Why? We've got the backstory on how that went down, or I guess didn't. Number three, the French are allowing police to remotely activate phone cameras and microphones, which feels like the plot from The Dark Knight Rises. That is it for this week. Hit subscribe to get next week's issues straight to your feed. Check out past conversations and essays. Uh, to go deeper, of course, visit importantnotimportant.com. Thank you for being a part of our community, and thank you for giving a shit. Have a great weekend. 